0: Father, thank you so much for this time this evening. Uh, Thank you that you are with us, um, that you are the eternal God who knows the end from the beginning. Uh, Please be teaching us this evening to trust you more. Thank you for um, the fellowship we have this evening. Thank you for the provision of food. Help us uh, the rest of our time together to build one another up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to make a start, a talk on anxiety. I wonder how you're feeling. Are you feeling anxious? <laughs> you like me, anxious about giving a talk about being anxious. Um, hopefully you've got a handout. There are handouts on your tables and pens. Uh, hopefully you've introduced yourself, if you don't know everyone around your tables. Um, nice to see people from the morning and the evening here, um, so there'll be a chance in a minute to, to chat a bit, so do introduce yourselves if you don't know each other. Great, well. Ten easy steps to beat anxiety. <laughs> I read on the website this week. Number one, get enough sleep. Two, smile. Three, declutter your space. Four, eat right. Five, make a mood board. Ooh. <laughs> Six, plan ahead as much as possible. Seven, worry, but only for 20 minutes a day. You're allowed to have 20 minutes of solid worrying time and then no more. (laughs) Eight, imagine a peaceful place and put yourself there. Nine, drink chamomile tea. And ten, exercise. Uh well those those were the 10 easy steps that I read on a website uh from a health and fitness media setup in New York City. Um, yeah, I just found it on the internet. But it's quite they're quite a common it's quite a common list, isn't it? Um, kind of self-help. Uh good advice some of them. But but how much do they really get to the deeper roots of our anxiety? But what is anxiety? For those in the mental health profession, it's the largest diagnostic category. There are lots of different types of anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, panic disorder, OCD, to name a few of the more severe forms. Anxiety and depression often go together. Figures show that one in five will suffer with depression at some point in their lives, and one in seven will suffer with severe anxiety. Some of us are more prone to anxiety than others, uh, whether that's through experiencing traumas uh, at some point in life that have just left scars. Uh, Perhaps we grew up in a household where we had parents who were worriers and they just instilled in us this sense that the world is a dangerous place. Um, Perhaps we're just genetically predisposed. But I think you'd agree with me that anxiety isn't just a problem that's like out there in newspapers and in lists of stats. But it is in here. Um, we might not have a diagnosis, but we all have anxiety in us. And by way of research this evening, I sent out a questionnaire to a variety of women. Lots of different ages, stages, different situations. And I asked them about their experiences of anxiety. And thank you to those of you here who filled that out. It's really, I'm really grateful. And when asked in those questionnaires what effect anxiety had physically and emotionally, these are the answers that came back. They included sleeplessness, tearfulness, overeating, not eating at all, nausea, panic attacks, tense shoulders, grinding teeth, bitten nails, IBS, loss of self-confidence, hiding away, seeking escape in food, alcohol, shopping, fantasy, impatience, exhaustion, restlessness, guilt, and not being all together. One person said... Some days, if I'm dwelling on the terrifying thoughts that flits through my head, then at worst I totally fall apart. It's an emotional roller coaster that I can't seem to get off. Another person wrote, anxiety can be a very physical state. Flooded with adrenaline, you are essentially constantly running for your life from the most terrifying beast, but while sitting in a chair or cooking the tea or talking to your children. I wondered what people would say in those questionnaires, um, and I hoped, if I'm honest, to discover that I'm not alone. I'm a worrier. I'm naturally um, a bit of a glass half-empty person. I fret and stew. Uh, I've always been that way, and I've suffered with severe anxiety at points in my life. I've also experienced depression um, and grief uh, to greater and lesser degrees at different points in life. And while many of the truths that we'll look at this evening apply to all of those, uh, they're not all the same, and they perhaps can be handled differently. I um, also want to say that we certainly can't deal with everything that needs to be said about anxiety this evening. It's only a couple of hours, and I don't know all the answers. I'm not a trained counsellor, I'm not a psychiatrist. I've got 33 years of life experience under my belt, but that is more than some of you and less than others. I haven't experienced everything that you have, um, but I'm seeking to grow in my trust of the Lord, and I'm praying that uh, I can encourage you this evening, and we can encourage each other as we seek to do that. So, what do you get anxious about? (laughs) We're going to spend a few minutes now, and just discussing with our neighbours what comes to mind, the trivial and the not-so-trivial. And just to say, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, which I guess for some it will, um, try to remember that verbalizing your fears and anxieties doesn't make them more powerful and it doesn't make them more likely to happen. Um, In fact, for the purposes of this evening, it should actually be helpful to identify them, to share them, and realize that you're not alone in them. And identifying your fears should mean that you'll be more blessed when you actually see how you can apply God's truth more specifically and effectively to them. I want you to imagine it's a bit like having really cold feet. So imagine you've been standing outside for a really long time. You are, you you know that feeling when your feet are just frozen and and you try to ignore them for a while and then, you know, you put another jumper on and you put your hat on and your gloves on and you stand next to someone else who's warm and you, you have a hot cup of tea, but your feet are icicles and they ache, it's so cold. Uh, it's only when someone gives you a pair of really warm, thick socks and puts a heater down by your feet that they start to warm up. So imagine it's a bit like that. Uh, our anxiety is a bit like our cold feet. We need to identify them and then apply the heat of God's word directly to them. And that will make them warm up, sort of. The analogy kind of works. <laughs> um, so on your sheets, the first little um, bunch of questions... Uh, We'll just have a few minutes to do that, perhaps in pairs, uh, and then I'll call us back together in a few minutes. Go for it. Okay, I'm going to break into your conversations again there. Okay, I hope you're not uh, too miserable after doing that. (laughs) I wonder what anxieties you shared with each other. I received um, a really long list of things when I sent around those questionnaires, Uh, Here, here's a selection of things that people said they worry about, large and small. I'm going to a party, who will I talk to? There isn't enough time, how on earth will I get everything done? Uh, One of my favorites, what if I erode my gums with this new electric toothbrush? (laughs) What if I say the wrong thing, what will they think of me? What if something goes wrong and I didn't read the insurance conditions properly? Will I ever be thin? Am I in the right job? What if they don't think I'm doing it well? What if I make a mistake? Will I get married? Will I get hurt again? Will I be able to cope with my parents' disappointment? Am I being a good enough wife? Am I being a good enough mother? Will we have enough money? What if my husband dies? Will I be able to cope if my health gets worse? What if my children don't get a good education? What if they make bad decisions? What if they don't follow the Lord? What if I lose my faith if life gets too hard? What if I reach heaven's gates and they don't let me in? What if... Now, this isn't like an anxiety shop window where you see all these extra worries that you didn't have and you think, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I will worry about that now too. <laughs> um, but I bet you can relate, relate to some of them. Some of them are mine. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are others that you talked about. But where do we go from here? Well, actually, we're going to spend a bit of time listening to our anxiety. Um, your instinct may well be to suppress it, uh, to ignore it. And you may fight to not be inward-looking, and that's a really good instinct. But remember the cold feet. Um, ignoring or suppressing our fears won't actually help us apply God's word to them and reach a deeper trust in him. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 625 to 34 The Lord Jesus knows all about our fears. And he spoke to those believers 2,000 years ago, and they had their own list of what-ifs. We'll come back to this passage throughout the evening, that's why it's on your sheets. Um, But we're going to ask now, what is our anxiety really saying? We're going to listen to our anxiety, and then we're going to listen to the Lord's voice and see what he says to us in our anxiety. So listening to anxiety, what does it say? Uh, Yeah, so many of our fears can be summed up with the sort of question, what if, can't they? Uh, If you look at the fears that Jesus' listeners had in that passage we've just read, they're Verse 31, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? They lived hand to mouth in that culture, so they were much more aware of their reliance on the elements to make crops grow, to keep the animals fed, etc. But Jesus sums up their fears in verse 34, saying that what they worry about is tomorrow, the future. So they're also plagued by the question, what if? And I kind of tried to imagine what, what those what ifs would be for them. What if we starve? What if there's another famine or drought? What if we have no shelter to sleep under? What if we lose our comforts? What if I become a widow and can't provide for our children? What if we lose the good opinion of others because our clothes show that we're poor? What if life gets harder? I doubt that their what-ifs are much different to ours, really. They were what-ifs about tomorrow. And so we're going to listen a bit harder to that question and what it's saying. What's the belief or attitude that's underneath our anxiety? So I'm going to suggest that our anxiety says that we believe that life in this world is unpredictable. Uh, we look out on the vast unknown of tomorrow, just as those people did 2,000 years ago that Jesus spoke to. and We look out on the vast unknown of um, the day ahead, the next hour, uh, the years to come, and we're really fearful. We look out on the unknown actions and thoughts of other people those we know and those we don't know and we're fearful everything is unpredictable anxiety says life is unpredictable and i don't know the future but it says more than that it says i want to know the future i want to predict and so we do try and predict the future That's why in our society we have weather forecasters and actuaries and astrologers and financial analysts and insurance companies. We love to try and predict what tomorrow will hold. But our emotional and physical state when we're anxious tells us what's really going on in our hearts. And our hearts shout really loudly, I want to predict the future, but I can't, and I'm terrified. And if we listen a little bit harder... um, There's a little deeper bass note that's just a beat behind, which is saying, I want to predict the future because I want to be in control. Anxiety says, life in this world is uncontrollable. Unpredictable and uncontrollable, those are two very big, scary words. And for people who want to predict and control, control, uh, this world is a scary place. So actually, our anxiety issues, you could call them really control issues, if we're honest. Anxiety is our rampant, dogged, desperate search for control. It's our hearts powerfully rooting around for some way to be in the driving seat. The future is unpredictable and the world around me is uncontrollable, but if I just roll over this in my head enough times, I'll find a way to work it out. I'll find a way to control it or change it, or at least I'll be prepared for it. If I dwell on it enough, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps I'll be in control. The future is unpredictable and life is uncontrollable, but if I just stick my head in the sand, stay busy, avoid that slower, quieter place where those fears start to creep in again, then somehow I'll be in control. The future is unpredictable and the world around me is uncontrollable. But if I plan and save and invest and achieve and educate and discipline, organize and clean, then somehow I'll be in control. So we can bury it, reason with it, medicate it, distract ourselves from it, throw relaxation techniques at it. Whatever we want to throw at it, whatever we do with it, our anxiety whispers, speaks, or shouts to us of our desperate search to be in control. So, that's what I'm suggesting. Our anxiety says, life in this world is unpredictable, uncontrollable, but I want to predict and I want to control. And yet, how successful have we been so far at controlling this world? I heard a story of a woman who had been having trouble with insomnia and paranoia for years because she just had this deep fear of being burgled in her sleep. Um, uh, it st- her husband just didn't know what to do. One night, he, um, he did hear a noise in the house, so he went downstairs, and he found a burglar. And he stood in the doorway, gave a huge sigh of relief, said, I'm so pleased to see you. My wife has been waiting for you for ten years. <laughs> Our anxiety may be our search for control, but it will always elude us. And we can't actually change the future. Um, Not in any significant way. Whether it's years ahead of us or just the next hour in front of us, we don't know what it holds and we can't change it. Jesus says in verse 27 of our passage, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I'll put it another way. Have any of you managed to reach into the future and change the date of your death yet? Have you? No. We have no significant control over things like that. That is the reality, isn't it? The things we fear most, they might happen. No amount of worrying can give us confirmation that they won't. Even Jesus doesn't tell his hearers that they definitely won't experience any of the things they're fearing. He certainly promises provision and better provision that they're expecting, but he doesn't say stop worrying because bad things will never happen. One thing that um, can keep me awake in the depths of the night is the thought of my parents dying. I absolutely dread losing them. Most of all, I dread remaining single and losing them. I really, really fear being alone. Um, and, and they have been a brilliant support to me. They are fantastic parents. They're always there. Uh, they've always been there, particularly in the rough times. And I know that they love, they love me and they're committed to me. And so I, I dread the day that they're not here anymore. And so I worry. I panic about it sometimes. I lie awake, rolling it over and over in my head. And I comfort myself that maybe their deaths are like years and years away into the future. But what if they're not? What if What if the health problems they have take a turn for the worse? What if that trip they're taking abroad turns sour and they don't come back? Honestly, I think I worry more about them in lazy retirement than they worry about me in the sprawling metropolis of London. And yet I can't do anything significant to prevent their demise. I haven't been able to prevent the heart attack my dad's already had, the cancer that mum has had. There's nothing I can do. I'm frail and I fail and I can't control whether they live or die. I am not God. I am not God. And that is the place that my anxiety should lead me to. Anxiety reveals to us that we are not God. We can't predict and we can't control. We simply can't have things our way. So anxiety, if we let it actually it should lead us to recognize that we need someone else other than ourselves. We need someone who knows the end from the beginning. Someone who isn't limited and isn't frail like we are. Someone who really can control the future. So as we listen to our anxiety, we actually really need to listen to God. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. So we listen to him because he alone can predict the future. Not just predict, actually. He knows the end from the beginning. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned it, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. Isaiah fourteen, twenty four. So we listen to God because He alone controls the future, and nothing happens that is outside of His control. So God says to us in our anxiety, that's a point on your sheet, only I know the future and only I control the future. Did you know that God's most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid or, or words to that effect? which is great, isn't it? He exhorts his wayward people to trust him over and over again, Uh, but he doesn't leave it as that. He And these aren't trite, empty comforts of a well-wisher, you know, someone who comes to you when you're facing some profound struggle and just says, don't worry, it'll be fine. How do you know? The Lord God is never trite. He never makes empty uh, promises to us. He gives us ample reason to trust him. He's given us a love letter full of reasons to trust him, written over thousands of years, containing almost 800,000 words breathed out by him. That's the Bible, in case you're wondering. The fact that his most frequent command is don't be afraid tells me that he knows how hard it is to live in a world as broken as this one. He does rebuke us for our feeble faith in him, but with love and patience, infinite love and patience. And he gives us a lot of reasons to trust him. Which caused him to say that well-known verse that we mentioned in our publicity. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now I'm realizing that my own struggle with fear and anxiety um, is probably because of two things. One is my proud heart that wants to be God. Um, and the other is my wrong view of God's character. So let's look at our passage in Matthew 6 again. And we're going to spend a few minutes just delving into it. And I'd like you to list the reasons in that passage that Jesus gives um, to stop trying to be God ourselves and to trust him instead. Maybe yeah, write them down, put them in your own words if you can. Uh, do it in, in pairs if you'd like. And we'll have a few minutes to do that. Okay, go for it. Okay, I'm gonna interrupt you again there. How many did you find? How many reasons? Did anyone count them up? Kristin, how many did you find? As you grouped them? <laughs> okay, how many categories did you have? Four categories. What were your categories? Yeah, life is more than trivial things. God provides. He values us more than we think. He's heavenly and he knows everything. Good categories, thank you. It's a great passage. Uh, And it reminds us that we're not God, this passage, doesn't it? It reminds us that we can't guarantee food for ourselves in the future, let alone provide foods for birds and clothes and grass and lilies. And we certainly can't change the date of our death. Only God can do that. So this passage, I think, teaches us to repent of our pride in trying to be God. But it also teaches us to repent of not trusting the one who cares for us. And that was the second reason, I think, that I struggle with anxiety, is that I have a wrong view of God's character sometimes. So that's uh, the next point on our sheet. God says to us in our anxiety, I control your future and I am good. How does this passage describe God? Well, Christians just said, um, verse 26, he's heavenly. And he's our heavenly father. More than that, he is your heavenly father. What kind of father is he? He's one who values us. He's one who knows about all the things we need. And he's one who even provides for creatures and plants who aren't his children, who aren't made in his own image, who he hasn't sent his son to die for, and he provides for them. So will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I reckon every time we see a bird in the air for next week, we should remember that God provided for that bird. And so we are more valuable than that bird. And so he will provide for us. Having said that, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, um, I'm sure you'll have faced some kind of difficulty. I'm sure the road hasn't been smooth. Uh, maybe it's not what you hoped it would be when you set out to follow Jesus. There will have been twists and bumps in the road, There'll be things, maybe for some of you, that you really wouldn't have called good. Uh, There'll be pain, um, there might have been grief over unmet longings. If you're anything like me, it can be really easy to read verse 26 about our Heavenly Father valuing us in those sadder, harder times, and quietly wonder if it's true. Really, Lord? Am I really valuable to you? Here are a few quotes from those questionnaires that I sent out. Sometimes it can just be so hard to see the bigger picture. When things keep going wrong, I find it so hard to remember that God cares about me and about my small problems. It can seem like I'm forgotten, and why would God care? I often feel skeptical about God's control in the minutia of everyday life. I know he's in control, but this doesn't mean he'll spare me pain so while I can trust him to work things for my spiritual good, there's no guarantee he'll work, he won't allow me to endure suffering. And knowing that can actually stop me trusting in him. Fear that I won't like God's to solution to my problem can stop me trusting. I feel irritation. It sounds better than anger, but it is anger, I suppose. That God is teaching me lessons I wish I didn't have to learn this way. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, these women express something that many of us feel when we experience hard things. Uh, Perhaps the things we fear most have happened. And these experiences may not feel like the provision of a loving Heavenly Father who values us and cares for us. In my heart, this contributes to my anxiety if I let it, because a darker fear sort of wells up and reverberates around my head. What if? What if God is not really good? The future is unpredictable, but maybe he is as well. Perhaps we can accept that God is in control, but we doubt that he's really kind in his dealings with us. He can take on a slightly different image in our minds, not not the one in Matthew 6, not the Heavenly Father, providing lovingly for every small need of his creation, but a sort of colder, disciplinarian God who like, doles out trials for our good. Maybe you can relate to that. If you can, you're not alone. Uh, I, but I speak to myself here as well when I say this, that those thoughts are wrong. And we need to repent of making a false image of God in our hearts, believing untrue things about him. We need to repent of turning away from his word, where he reveals to us that he is loving and kind and making a cruel God in our minds. Let's look again at our passage, Matthew 6. In verse 34, Jesus is very realistic about this life. Each day will have its own trouble. Jesus is not denying that fact or making any promises about an end to problems this side of the kingdom. And yet anxiety is our search for control, and control wants guarantees, doesn't it? Guarantees that we'll have a comfortable life, guarantees that those I love will be safe and secure. And yet Jesus says each day will have its trouble. He doesn't guarantee a life of comfortable safety. But he is the one who gave up his son for us. The Lord is the one who gave up his son for us. And he is tender and generous in his love. He is not capricious or cruel. Romans 5, verse 8 says, He demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In his love, he does give us a whole load of guarantees. I've listed some of them there on the sheet, some of my favourites. He pierced his own son for our transgressions and by his wounds we're healed. He's engraved our names on the palms of his hands. He takes great delight in us. In his love he no longer rebukes us, but he rejoices over us with singing. We are precious in his eyes and honoured and he loves us. He created our inmost being. He knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days ordained for us are written in his book before one of them came to be. He is for us. And having given up his son for us, he will along with him graciously give us all things. Those are very precious guarantees. And trusting them doesn't mean we suppress are bewilderment or sadness before the Lord. And I, I don't want you to hear me saying that this is a call to stiff upper lips. It isn't. There is so much in the Psalms, uh, in books like Lamentations or Job, which show us believers crying out to the Lord in the midst of suffering, grieving, asking him why, telling him that they don't feel his loving kindness at the moment, but they appeal to him on the basis of the attributes they know to be his even if they don't feel the warmth of his love in the trial they're undergoing. We will only understand God's love for us properly if we understand the end towards which he's working. And what is that in Matthew 6, verse 33? We're to seek after God's kingdom and righteousness as our priority over and above the temporary needs of this life. His kingdom is the end towards which um, he's working. He's working. It's a place of peace, we know. It's a place of perfect relationship with him. A place of no more mourning or crying or pain. No more sin. No more suffering. And that is the end towards which God is leading all of our lives. And he's preparing us for that kingdom. We need to trust, pray that we would trust that wonderful guarantee of Romans 8, 31, 32 That God is for us and not against us. Let me read that verse again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We trust that he's for us, even in fearful situations, because he's given up his son for us. He loves us. He will deliver us, but at times his deliverance will be more sophisticated than we can understand. He'll never leave us, and he tells us, My mercies are new every morning, and my grace is sufficient for you. One of my favorite Christian books is um, Don Carson's Knowing God. Um, If you haven't read it, it is a meaty book. Uh, It will deepen your faith and understanding of God, but it informs the mind and warms the heart at the same time. And he writes about these promises in Romans 8, and he says, a quote I put on your sheet, actually, The meaning of he will give us all things can be put thus. One day, we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. And that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. What higher assurance do we want than that? Amazing. So God says to us in our anxiety, I control your future and I am good. We're going to spend some time now uh, chatting again, a slightly longer break, a chance to have some tea and coffee and uh, some sweet things are going to be brought around, I think. Um, But there are some more questions there just to think through this whole issue of, uh, yeah, trusting the Lord. Um, Perhaps you want to discuss those around your tables and then I'll I'll bring us back together in about 10 minutes. Great. Great, I'm going to... Draw us back together again. Okay, so in this second half, we're um, going to do the same again. I was going to listen to an aspect of our anxiety and then hear what God says to us in it. I'm going to read you um, a quote from an article I read recently uh, by a Christian lady. Um, She has a child with um, a chronic illness. She writes, Chronic illness has stolen so much from us. Things most parents take for granted. School days and childhood play and time with friends. It has the potential to take away so much more. Once I lived with the comfortable illusion that my decisions and carefully protected goodness could control the outcome. Now I know how vulnerable we are. How easily the things we hold can be taken away. And I'm afraid. Look closely at your fears and you'll see the mirror image of your idols. What you count as happiness, what you hold most tightly. The things we think we can't live without. Security, success, control, peace, usefulness, happiness. The places we look for them. Family, money, health, career, friendship, children, marriage. Suffering threatens and thus reveals the things we trust in. It loosens our grip and invites us to cling to God instead. So we're going to look closely at our fears. And as she says, they actually show us the mirror image of our idols. Um, So we're going to listen again and see what our fears reveal. And that's my first point. Anxiety says, this is what I treasure and value, and I really don't think I can live without it. Jesus makes that point in our passage from Matthew. Just a few verses before this passage, he has said to these people, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus wants his listeners to be thinking about what they treasure, what they seek, what they delight in. And it's into this context that we get our passage, uh, that opening verse. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or what you'll about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes jesus is saying that there is something more than the earthly treasures that we worry about he's saying that whatever you treasure here on earth whatever you think you need if it's anything other than god himself then it is vulnerable it's fragile it's going to decay it can't be relied on to last for eternity they may be um, things that it is right to love. Uh, it is right to love our families, to cherish and care for those the Lord's given us to love. But often our sinful hearts just grasp a bit too tightly. At the expense of treasuring the one who gave them to us in the first place. We treasure them and we wish they could be ours forever. We, we really want permanent happiness, comfort, ease, peace, security, love. But we look for it in the wrong places. We think our earthly treasures can provide that permanence. And so we fear and panic when they're threatened. But it isn't those things that can provide the permanent treasure that we long for. But the creator of these treasures. He's the one that our anxiety should drive us to. So God says to us in our anxiety, I give treasure of greater and lasting value. And I will ensure that you get it, that you take hold of it. We've seen that already in the first half. We've seen that his kingdom is the end that God is working towards. Eternity with himself is the treasure that he has in mind for us as he ordains every day that we have. And we've already seen that he will do all that is needed in his infinite wisdom to ensure that we take hold of that treasure in eternity. Many of us know that and yet we're still anxious. I'm still anxious. And so we need to diagnose what it is that we're treasuring. So we're going to take another look um, at some specific anxieties, that, uh, some of them that I read out at the beginning, and work out what the earthly treasure is behind them. What about these? Uh, what if I say the wrong thing? What would they think of me? Well, am I in the right job? What if they don't think I'm doing it well? What if I make a mistake? I wonder, perhaps, if we treasure being approved of, or being perfect in the eyes of others. Our fear will be rejection or criticism. It's definitely something I fear. And so I treasure being perfect in the eyes of others. Many of us will have that. And I've had to think about what is the greater treasure that the Lord offers me when I'm treasuring being perfect in the eyes of others. He says to me in Hebrews 10 verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has made perfect for ever those who are being made holy. So actually, God offers me the treasure of his son, who has made me perfect in God's eyes. God sees me as perfect, so why do I need to be perfect in the eyes of everyone else? I will never succeed anyway. Um, Here are some others. There isn't enough time. How will I get everything done? What if something goes wrong and I didn't read the insurance conditions properly? Perhaps in those cases... If we're treasuring having a comfortable, peaceful life, or one which is all under control, then we'll fear discomfort or disorder or chaos. Yet the Lord says to us through Paul in Romans 8, do you remember those verses? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What would you add to that list to make it your own? For I am convinced that neither chaos in the office, or the boiler blowing up, or the house uh, losing value, will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the greater treasure—that nothing can separate us from Jesus' love. What about my own fears of my parents dying, especially if I remain single? Well, I could rewrite that verse for myself and say, I'm convinced that neither losing my parents nor remaining single can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I need to treasure that guarantee more than I treasure the earthly happiness of having a family. I treasure my parents because I think they give me security, the security that I lack in not having a husband. But I have a secure relationship with Jesus place in his lasting kingdom a better security than the transience of human relationships, and a better heavenly father, even than my father, who's caring for my every need now. I can't say that that immediately eliminates all my fears and struggles, but it does lift my eyes to the Lord. So we're going to spend some more time uh, in, our, in our groups, thinking through what our anxieties tell us about what we treasure and then we'll have some time for questions, so you might want to write down any questions you have. So, yeah, there are uh, more questions there to think through, uh, think about what we treasure in the things that we fear. Okay, go for it. Okay, I think I might interrupt us again there. You can carry on thinking about those uh, after you leave, of course. Well, we're nearly at the end of our evening. Um, I, d- I did want to leave a bit of time for questions, if anyone's got any. Um, sh- okay, there are just a couple of questions. Uh, yeah, there might be people who want to ask um, some things. The first one, um, I've asked Barbara to help with. Shall I just read it out? It's, um, we should take everything to God, but which things need help ASAP?
1: Um, I th- hello <laughs> Ruth asked me to help you because I've retired now two years ago but I was a mental health social worker uh, in here in London um, I think this question is that we should take everything to God but which things need help ASAP I think Ruth and I thought that really they're asking when does anxiety become a medical difficulty I hope I've understood the question correctly um I think, and and therefore, even if you took it to God and God's going to answer you, it may not be instant. Mm -hmm. Um, I think anxiety becomes a medical difficulty when it affects your functioning. That is sleeping, eating, your ability to work if you're employed, do your job, um, and your relationships. But that's further down the line. The main things are eating sleeping your ability to work so if you're awake at night with terrible fears dreading um if you have preoccupied with thoughts of death either your own or somebody close to you or or horrific sort of catastrophe is happening um if you have trouble eating that's too much or too little or compulsively eating one food um mm. your your ability to work if if you even don't care about yourself so much. You know, you don't care if you wash your hair. You don't care about putting on makeup. Uh, that sort of thing. Then I think you need to see your GP. <laughs> and um, talk about treatment. Now, treatment, the GP may or may not look at antidepressants with you. It's not something that you should go on to lightly, but I'm, I'm quite pro-antidepressants. I'm not anti them at all. Treatment is usually two-pronged medication and talking therapy or talking There's two so a good gp will recommend both routes at at the same time if you're very low you have to have the medication first to get to a certain level before you can benefit from talking Um, antidepressants are non-addictive they have some side effects but everything has side effects you know paracetamol has side effects ibuprofen you 're supposed to take it either with food or straightly after food that has a side effect on your gut, so anything you put in is going to have a side effect. OK? The side effects are not great, and i wouldn 't worry about them, and you can come off them you know they're, they're for a course of time, usually six months, not less than six months. Some people stay on them longer, um, but don 't be frightened of them. If someone, if you think it's not biblical to take medication, I don't know if anybody here would. The way I think of it is that, you know, God created the universe and He created the chemicals in the universe. And He has, His Holy Spirit has enlightened men's minds so that they have discovered how to put certain chemicals together that work in certain ways on our bodies. And so you can say it's really all of God
0: really helpful. I hope that answers this yeah. question.
1: Um, yeah. If anyone has anything more along that line you want to speak to me, that's fine.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Barbara. Yeah, Barbara is um, a member of our morning congregation. Um, if any of you would like to chat to her this evening or at another time, um, I'm sure she'd be happy to. Uh, you could get in touch with me if you, if you want her details. Uh, the other um, question is... Where can we draw a line between focusing on goals and not being anxious about things? Um, I think it's really hard. Uh, I know what you're. So I think you're saying, um, see, we can't. We have to get on and, and focus on the things that we need to do. Uh, there are big. Obviously, we all have to work. We all have lots of plates to spin. We have to get things done. Um, and yet, I guess it feels like it's very difficult not to be then anxious at the same time. I'm not sure. Is that is that the question? I don't know. Well, I think, um, I guess I guess the answer is you have to do both. Um, you have to both focus on your goals and you have to seek the Lord and try not to be anxious about the things that you can't control. So it's, it comes down to the control thing, doesn't it? There are things that we can control that we're responsible for. So we're responsible to do our job, to care for our families if we have them. Uh, yeah, to steward what the Lord has given us well, not to be irresponsible, that would be ungodly. Um, but we're not to try and control the things that we can't control, i.e. the future, the unknown, uh, what's um, the things we can't do anything about, those are the things we're to take to the Lord. So I think it's working with him and not against him, not trying to be him as we focus on the responsibilities we have. And we are supposed to plan for the future. I think that's encouraged in, in the Bible to be to be wise and to plan. Um, but there are lots of proverbs about we make plans, but the Lord guides our steps. So it's just remembering that, isn't it, that we do things if the Lord wills. Ultimately, um, we shouldn't sit around not doing anything, not planning anything. Um, but we can take risks because God doesn't. He's he knows. He knows everything. So. We take risks, we pray, we trust, and we try not to be anxious. <laughs> Anything you'd add to that? I think it's probably a lot to do with as well why, what your motives are for setting goals so or for doing the things that you're doing. So to take the
1: example of the thing that I do obsessively when I'm anxious is reading every single article I can find on the condition that I have. Now, it's, it's, I think it's biblical and godly for me to, to understand about what's going on with my body and to plan and to be aware of, of the medications I'm on and of the possible sort of, you know, implications of those, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it becomes a different thing when the reason that I'm doing that is to try and control the situation, uh, to try and know everything I can to sort of find the diagnosis, a bit like house. Um, if I'm sort of trying to diagnose myself with something completely different or, um, trying, yeah, trying to be in control. So I guess you get to a point where actually you're just going around in circles and at that point you need
0: to say, well, I've done all I can and now I just need to stop and trust and mm. go and watch some TV or something. Okay, <laughs> great, thank you. Uh, if anyone wants to come and chat to me about that uh, more at some point, please do. But I think we should probably finish we've run over. Um, there are a couple of things just on your handouts um, to mention uh, I've got a five-point plan for dealing with anxiety, if you find that helpful. Just to recap what we've done this evening, um, you could look over that. Also, some books to recommend. Some great books out there. Uh, someone's helpfully pointed out that I've got the wrong author for knowing God. How terrible. It's, yes. It's, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm getting my Christian greats mixed up. It's actually by Jim Packer. Um, so do have a look at those books. Uh, it's a really great one, uh, the first one called Running Scared by Edward T. Welch, which is just brilliant. Okay, uh, why don't I pray um, and then we'll finish. Father, we um, praise you for uh, the place in your kingdom that you, you have secured for each of us. Praise you that uh, you have promised us that there is nothing that can separate us from your love that one day we will be with you in a place of no more suffering or pain, a place of perfect relationship with you. please set our eyes on that again. Please help us to stop trying to be God in our own lives and to turn to you instead. And to trust your loving, kind purposes for us. Please help us in that battle. Help us to keep battling. Help us to encourage one another in that battle. To point one another to you. We pray that we would continue to discuss this together to build one another up as sisters in Christ. For your glory we pray. Amen.